It's great to have you with us from wherever you're tuning in from. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app. We hope this message inspires and helps you to take your next steps in your journey. Hey, good morning. Short sleeves, hello. Great to have you here this morning. Uh, just look, let me just dive straight in. You probably noticed if you've, you know, been breathing recently, there's political wars going on, there's culture wars going on, there's civil wars going on, there's military wars going on. You know this. Morality is on the slide. You know, some of the conversations you hear from your colleagues at Afterworks drinks, you're like, you did what? Last week I talked about this idea that people sort of feeling, uh, you know, sort of guilt and shame over doing the wrong thing in certain key areas is on the, the decline. Uh, two weeks ago, our eight-year-old nephew came over to help Uncle Mark at uh, Uncle Mark's urban farm. And we're going through the list of jobs. And my eight-year-old nephew says, Uncle Mark, are there any Karens living around here? And I'm like, wow. And I'm like, well, actually, buddy, funny you should ask, because the guy next door, he's an Aaron. And he's like, what? I said, that's a male Karen. And then I said, and then the lady at the back fence, yeah, she's a real Karen. But here's an eight-year-old kid. He just assumes that in our literal physical location in our neighbourhood, there's going to be people who actually act in egregious ways. That's kind of the worldview that he's already adopted at the age of eight. There's economic pressures. It's like, oh, cost of living, cost of living. What's starting to come out in the wash is that a growing number of corporations are being, are being outed by the fact that, yes, some cost of goods and supply chain costs have gone up. Some companies have chosen to just add on a little bit extra, like, because no one will notice. And it's called greedflation. So we're experiencing inflation and then add to that, we're experiencing greedflation, which is a form of selfishness. By the way, selfishness is on the rise. We, we, we were, uh, years ago, we might have sort of celebrated uh, winning for all, celebrated uh, something that's, you know, best for our colleagues and best for our communities. It's like, what's the best thing for us? And yet increasingly, the question is becoming, what's the best thing for me? It's a problem. No doubt you could add to the list. One of the traps is, or there's a few traps, is we can start getting sort of cynical and defeatist. Well, there's nothing we can do about it. So you just kind of like, ah, you do the best you can. Uh, we can get angry, you know, take to social media and lob grenades from your trench into someone else's, like that'll solve it. Or I think one of the worst things that, that can happen is we can actually get sucked in. Like things get normalized, no one's pushing back and, and, and sometimes we don't even notice that we can sometimes get kind of sucked into something less than God's best ourselves. There's a diagram that I've been putting up quite regularly. Venn diagram, this idea that there is prevailing culture and then there's kingdom culture. And that whilst there's some overlap with prevailing culture and kingdom culture, they're not 100% overlapped. And because we physically live in prevailing culture, because the news feeds that come our way come from prevailing culture, because laws and, 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 and what people would say is how we should think and 
should act, that's emerging out of prevailing culture. It can get normalised if it doesn't overlap with kingdom culture. That's a problem. Because God's promises only reside in the circle of kingdom culture. So today we're launching a new series called The World Spins Madly On, Volume 1. Which, like Volume 1, it's because we might launch Volume 2 sometime, somewhere, next year, year after. Who knows? I might record it this week. And when I take my two-week vacation to watch the Paris Olympics, we'll just play. Yeah. Uh, the big idea of this series is that as Jesus followers, we're not called to merely try and hold the line. We're actually called to be influential and try to turn the tide, to actually hold up a better and higher standard to see kingdom culture actually invade prevailing culture. So, we're going to cover a lot of ground today. If you've got your smartphone, camera, camera, scan this flow code. It's going to take you to 1 Kings chapter 17, or you can use your Bible. But listen, we're going to cover a lot of ground. I don't want you to miss any of it. You're going to be able to highlight stuff, take notes. Uh, it's going to be a wild ride. Before we drop in, I'll leave that flow code up. Before we drop into this uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, let me give you the backstory. The backstory is this. 200 years prior to this moment, or sorry, let me, let me go a bit longer. God had led the nation of Israel into the land that He had promised them. He'd take them out of captivity in Egypt. He'd take them through the desert. And now they in, in, have taken possession of His promised land. And the first king of Israel was appointed, a guy named David, King David. For the most part, King David did a good job. He was uh, succeeded by King Solomon. Also, for the most part, did a good job. One of the things that were hallmarks of King David and King Solomon's leadership of the nation of Israel is while they were the kings, the nation of Israel continued to worship the God of Israel. However, after King Solomon died, over the next 200 years, he was succeeded by 19 evil kings. Not incompetent kings, evil kings. Number 19 was the worst of the worst. A guy named King Ahab. His wife was also, so he took about a combination punch, considered the most evil woman who had ever lived. Her name was Jezebel. And one thing that characterised the nation of Israel under the, the leadership of these 19 consecutive evil kings is they actually were no longer worshipping the God who had led them into the promised land. They'd started worshipping other gods. Two of the preeminent ones, one is a God named Baal. Baal's like the God of providence or provision. Like he controls the skies and the rain, so they thought. And then the other one's a God named Asherah, and she's the God of fertility. Now, block your ears if you don't like R-rated stuff. These people under these kings worshipping these gods, they would do things like sacrifice their children to these gods. Uh, 
they would go into the temple that was built to worship the God of Israel, have sex with prostitutes and call that worship. And then, um, I need to stop there because just take my word for it. It gets way worse than that. And at this point in history, after 200 years and 19 consecutive evil kings, God said enough. And enter into the pages of history, a man named Elijah. Not an army, not an elected official, not the next king, one man, a prophet, a spokesperson that God raised up to be used to stage an intervention. So this happened. So after these 200 years and these 19 evil kings, then this happened. Elijah the Tishbite from among the settlers of Gilead confronted King Ahab. As surely as God lives, the God of Israel before whom I stand in obedient service, the next years are gonna see a total drought, not a drop of dew or rain unless I say otherwise. Now we need to understand the context. This was largely an agricultural society. So the minute that they start to experience a drought, the longer that drought goes on, that society will see themselves move from an economic slowdown to eventually an economic shutdown. Now, if this happened today, the modern day equivalent would be that, that over time, you would see more and more empty shelves at your grocery store to the point where at some point there will be nothing on the shelves at your grocery store. The, the lines for petrol will be one kilometre long, but over time they'll be five kilometres long and then eventually the petrol stations will say, sorry, no petrol anymore. Banks will eventually not only stop lending money, they won't even let you take the money out that you've deposited with them. There'll be no electricity. There'll be increased unemployment, increased starvation and ultimately increased death. That's if this equivalent happened today. So this is literally when Elijah stared down the king, he was literally saying that, that I'm declaring that there will be an economic shutdown in this nation's future. Incidentally, there's another layer to this intervention by specifically telling the king that it's gonna be a total drought because God could have done something else, a plague. You know, he's done like fun stuff like that before. But he specifically said there's gonna be no rain. They were worshipping God of Baal, the God that they thought controlled the skies, the God that they thought was the provider. Elijah's saying, King, you and the nation, you've hitched your wagon to the wrong God. You've hitched your wagon to the lesser God. You think Baal controls the skies, stay tuned. Watch this. Now, for the record, Jezebel, the wife of the king, she'd actually been in the habit of seeking out or ordering that the, the armies would seek out and kill any prophets of the God of Israel. 
So not only was Elijah not in hiding with that sort of threat hanging over his head, he actually went into the inner sanctum of the king and not to say, hey, you're doing a good job, buddy. Here's a Christmas present. To actually get up in his business, to actually speak truth to power, which is not always easy, especially if it's truth that the power doesn't want to hear. So this guy is already entering the pages of history with this enormous amount of faith and courage. We don't know where it came from up to that point, but it is bonkers. So there he is. He's up in the king's business. He doesn't, he doesn't care for the threat that this might have in his life. And he's telling the king, mate, you've chosen the losing team. And it's like, wow, it's game on. Elijah versus the king. Sorry, Elijah and the God of Israel versus the king and Baal. And then this happened. God then told Elijah, get out of there and fast, head east and hide out the Kerith ravine on the other side of the Jordan River. Now, Kerith, Kerith, Keith, that's what my autocorrect kept changing it to. Uh, they all mean the same thing. They mean cut off. And it's like, wait, what? Somehow Elijah had found his way into the inner sanctum of the king was standing there and boldly declaring with faith and courage. And now he's been shunted into this place of actual complete obscurity, cut off from everybody and everything. It's like, what's that about? Well, what we're about to see is this is part of the preparation process. See, somehow, yes, Elijah had already got to this level in his faith, but God, we will see over the next few weeks, wanted to take him to new levels and new levels and new levels so that he could be used at new levels and new levels and new levels. And here's the reality of the importance of the preparation process. Before God can do more through you, He needs to first do more in you. So if you ever find yourself in the Kareth Ravine, ask God, what do you wanna do in me? Don't see it as a wasted season. Because look, ever felt cut off? Job you loved? And then you get the email, we're downsizing. You're no longer required. You didn't even do anything wrong. You actually showed up. Maybe a friend turned on you. And you were like, ugh, didn't see that coming. Maybe it's financial loss. You know, you're doing pretty okay. And now you're in the wowzers phase. If you've ever felt cut off, don't let it be a wasted season. So God said to Elijah, you can drink fresh water from the brook. I've ordered the ravens to feed you. Elijah obeyed God's orders. He went and camped out at the Kareth Canyon on the other side of the Jordan. And sure enough, ravens bought him meals, both breakfast and supper, and he drank from the brook. And I'm gonna be the only preacher in the last five years in history that's preached from this particular passage and not use the analogy that this was the first ever Uber Eats delivery. Okay, I'm not going to say that because it's too cliched. But what God is doing, what God did here is He took Elijah to a physical place where Elijah's only option was to learn 100% dependence on God. 
It wasn't to say that maybe some of the things he'd been depending on in his previous chapter of his life were bad, but now this is like the preparation process on steroids that he literally only has God to rely on. Nothing wrong with having a job you love. Nothing wrong with having friends you love. Nothing wrong with having a solid financial situation. The problem emerges if when we have those good things, gifts from God, when we start putting our faith in those things rather than in the one who provided those things. When we think that things are the source and forget that upstream there's a God who's the source. And I'll tell you when it becomes crunch time is when they're taken away from you and you find yourself shakable instead of unshakable. It's when the things are taken away, but God is still there. It's like, I'm good. I'm not, not in denial. Preferred it didn't happen. But God, what do you wanna do in me in this season that's gonna prepare me for you to be able to do more through me? Now, there's two things I wanna double click on. So you say, okay, you know, Elijah's not in control of the, the water, that's God. He's not in control of the food, that's God. There is one thing that Elijah has 100% complete control over. It, his obedience. God would never have made him do it. He could have said no, but he didn't. Now, I'm pretty sure if he had said no, we wouldn't be reading about him and being inspired by him today, unless it was a lesson in what not to do. Oh, it just to also highlight, just this is like a bonus thing. Um, Elijah viewed God's word to him as orders, not suggestions. There's a pro tip right there. I mean, he had a choice, but he didn't allow himself to have a choice because he trusts that God's gonna lead me to something better. I mean, I'm, I'm in. So it was both God's promise and Elijah's obedience that positioned him in this place of next level preparation. And then the other thing to notice is God only gave him enough for the day. No chest freezer, no leftovers. Oh, they'll probably be good tomorrow. I mean, it's not exactly modern refrigeration, but what's the worst thing that can happen? In fact, he didn't even give him enough in the morning to last until the evening. This was a, you're gonna depend on me first thing in the morning, buddy. And then you're gonna need to depend on me right around sunset. And tomorrow <laughs> we're hitting reset and we're gonna do it all over again. And God came through every morning and every evening without fail. Every single meal that God provided to Elijah was an opportunity for Elijah to increase his faith. Like God came through again, just like he said he would. Hello. Now, check this. Eventually the brook dried up because of the drought. Duh. 
Then God spoke to him, get up and go to Zarephath in Sidon and live there. I've instructed a woman who lives there, a widow, to feed you. <laughs> Elijah's just experienced what some people say is months of the brook and the ravens providing for him. And then God took the brook and the ravens out of the equation as a reminder that actually it wasn't the brook or the ravens that were providing for you, it's me. And before you start to get too comfortable and put your faith and your trust in the brook and the ravens, I'm taking the brook and the ravens away and I'm taking you away and we're gonna try something different here. A widow, I'll come to that in a second. Note this, after you've been in the Karif Ravine for a season of preparation, there will be a time where God will say to you, get up and go. The Karif Ravine is not a destination. It's a place for preparation. But when that work is done and God's ready to take you to the next level, get up and go, yeah, but God, you know, you know, I, I've had my mail redirected here. I know it's a terrible analogy. No one gets mail anymore. Um, bonus fact is that this region, Zarephath, is actually where Jezebel's family was from. It was actually the epicenter of Baal worship. And so it literally, God was instructing Elijah to go into hostile enemy territory. So even if he said there's a, there's a supermarket there and here's a $500 voucher and that's what's gonna feed, even if that, he still was risking his life just going there. But he went there. Now in that culture, a widow would have literally been on the bottom of the economic ladder, even in good times. And God decides, comes up with this cockamamie idea. He's gonna send Elijah there during a drought and there's a widow that's going to take care of him. But I, I conducted a little bit of a personal thought experiment this week. Reading this, I'm like, now this, this is what we refer to at Bible College as extra biblical revelation. What I'm about to say is not in the Bible. This is Mark having far too much time on his hands whilst he's planting tomato seeds in his greenhouse. Thought. But I just had this thought. I'm gonna share it with you because I trust you. I'm pretty sure this isn't being recorded. Um, I just wonder if when God said to Elijah, I've instructed a woman there who lives there, a widow to feed you. I just wonder if, if Elijah just had a little bit of a chuckle to himself. Like, <laughs> good one, God. I know what you're up to. You're wanting me to think, a widow? That's gonna be an incredible miracle. But mate, I've just been sitting having food delivered to me by ravens. And I've just learned that it's not a, the ravens that were feeding me, it was you. So this one, do you think I was just born yesterday, God? I know that when I get there, it's not gonna be a widow feeding me. 
It's going to be you who feeds me. And if you can use ravens, you can use a widow, you can use anything. I'm good. Hilarious. <laughs> anyway, then I went back to planting more tomato seeds. So he got up and went there. And as he came to the entrance of the village, he met a woman, a widow, gathering firewood. And he asked her, please, would you bring me a little water in a jug? I mean, that's just, that's just rough. It's a drought. She's a widow. That's just like... That's a very Aaron move right there. Let's just call it what it is. I need a drink. Yeah, you and everyone else, pal. As she went to get it, he called out, oh, hey, while you're at it, would you bring me some to eat? What? He hasn't even introduced himself yet. I mean, this is disrespectful. She said, listen, I swear, <laughs> she probably did too, as surely as your God lives, I don't have so much of a biscuit, a scone, a muffin, a croissant, a donut, nothing. I have a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a bottle. You found me scratching together just enough firewood to make one last meal for my son and me. This was literally her going to prepare her last supper. Hello. After we eat it, we will die. This is a woman who's literally lost all hope. Hello. Yes. Elijah said to her, eh, <laughs> I'm telling you, this would have, come on, this could have been a full-on Aaron statement. Ah, don't worry about it. Don't worry about a thing. She didn't know what he knew. And he says this, don't worry about a thing. Go ahead and do what you've said. But first make a small biscuit for me and bring it back here. And then go ahead and make a meal for what's left for you and your son. But this is the word of the God of Israel, the jar of flour will not run out and the bottle of oil will not become empty before God sends the rain on the land and ends the drought. That is exactly what happened. Day after day, the flour didn't run out and the oil didn't run out. The, the flour was not their source of life. The oil was not their source of life. Elijah knew this. He knew that the God of Israel was their source of life. And as long as he's up there and he's working, there's hope, there's life. You, are, you do not have to get to the end of your rope. But here's the reality. <laughs> In life, sometimes you're Elijah and sometimes you're the widow. <laughs> and this is why we repeatedly say following Jesus is a team sport. That we follow Jesus for ourselves, but we're called not to follow Jesus by ourselves. And if you think, oh, I'll just show up at church, you know, like a couple of times a year, I'll just, you know, I won't get involved. It's not a guilt thing. It's not a, oh, good to see you again. Gee, it's been a while. No one's going to say that. We are going to embrace you with open arms. But here's the thing. When you're the widow, you need to make sure there's an Elijah within arm's reach. And if you've isolated yourself, it's risky is all I'm saying, okay? But then the opposite side of the, of the coin is true as well. Sometimes God wants you to be Elijah for somebody else who's the widow to take the faith that He's already instilled in you that doesn't exist in this other person. She's not even following the God of Israel. And He's speaking on behalf that this God of Israel is gonna take care of. And she's like, uh, if you say so. And she saw the God of Israel actually 
provide. This is why we do church as a community. This is why we follow Jesus together because sometimes you're the widow and sometimes you're Elijah and showing up and building deep spirit friendships allows us to be one or the other when the time comes. Now, I'll land this today. There's plenty more we're gonna learn over the next few weeks, but this has been happening and then tragedy struck. The son became sick and eventually he died and the woman starts ranting at Elijah. Ah, oh, great. That's why God brought you in here to judge me for my sins, which he never did. And then to cause my son to die. And Elijah scooped the boy up and took him upstairs, put him on a bed and three times he stretched himself out full length on the boy, praying with all his might, God, my God, put breath back into this boy's body. God listened to Elijah's prayer and put breath back into his body. He was alive. Elijah picked the boy up, carried him downstairs from the loft and gave him to his mother and said, here's your son alive. This is literally the first recorded resurrection in history. Not the last, <laughs> but it's the first. <clears throat> and you think, it's not, so, it's not like Elijah had a role model. <laughs> not like Elijah had been reading his Bible and saw somebody else pull off this stunt, seen someone raised from the dead. He just got about it. And I, again, I'm thinking to myself, My best understanding at this moment in history is that Elijah's faith right now, because of what he'd seen God do in the preparation season through the time he spent at the widow's house, that he unwaveringly and unquestionably knew that God was the source of all life and that it's not over unless God says it's over and so he does this so we're going to learn over the next three weeks plenty more I mean this is like Elijah's like just getting started here God's just getting started with Elijah um, so I want to make sure you be a part of that um one of the things we do, and I kind of intro this at the beginning of every series, is in the Bible app. Every Monday, we launch, or we, we load in a new featured plan in the Bible app. You have to scan this and make Elevate Church My Church. Super easy to do. And then on a Monday, you go into the My Church section and uh, you'll see a featured plan. So tomorrow's featured plan is going to be around Elijah. And we're going to put a featured plan in each of the four weeks around Elijah and the themes that uh, his life is introducing us to. So I encourage you to be a part of that. I, I do these incredibly, incredibly valuable. Um, increasingly, our team's doing that. And we even, you can become friends in the Bible app as well as friends IRL and uh, encourage one another. So be about that as well. Okay. See you next week. We really hope you got a lot out of this message. If you live in the Perth area, we'd love for you to join one of our live experiences. For times and directions, as well as information, head to our website, elevatechurch.me. 
For those of you beyond the Perth area, we'd love for you to connect with our online experience, which premieres every Sunday via YouTube and Facebook Live and on demand immediately after. And to partner with us to reach more people by giving financially, head to our website, elevatechurch.me and also download our Elevate Church AU app.